As the group drops down into their spots around the table to begin another episode of the Discover the Word Bible Study Podcast, uh, Daniel Ryan Day starts the conversation by saying, All right, I just want to read part of a verse and have you respond to it. I'm not going to give any context, just part of a verse. And then if you'll just share kind of where this takes you in your heart and mind. So here it goes. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What goes through your head and how does that make you feel? Hmm, How does that make you feel? Eating the bread of anxious toil. We'll hear how Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Rasul Berry respond as we begin a perspective-shaping conversation about the bread of anxious toil on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. And so what we're going to do in this episode is look for the word toil as it appears throughout the scriptures. And first of all, I think we'll be surprised by how often it appears and how it appears in some familiar and foundational places. And then I think we'll also find that toil in a lot of important ways, helps tell the story of the Bible. So the bread of anxious toil. That's what we'll be studying together for the next hour on the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, in which we invite you to be part of the group as we explore passages and ideas that impact the way we read the Bible, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and point us to discover Jesus the living Word of God, in the pages of the Scriptures, the written Word. And so Daniel read that verse, which is part of the 127th Psalm, and asked Elisa and Bill and Rasul to respond. And so let's listen as he reads the verse to them again, and then they reply. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What goes through your head and how does that make you feel? I feel attacked. Um, like <laughs> Personally, yeah. Personally, like, wait a minute. Why is this verse talking about both sometimes what I dread, but also sometimes what I feel like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for me, there are two parts to the verse. And the first part immediately took my mind back to the years when I was a pastor because I did rise up early and go late to rest. And a lot of times it did feel like it was in vain. And so I really identify with that. Eating the bread of anxious toil. The word anxious kind of gets me stuck because I don't know what anxious has to do with toil at that point. I I like that, Bill. There's a never-endingness to the tasks of the day. I mean, it takes me back to the days of young mothering, you know, when you have Mm -hmm. little kids and you you rise up early to take care of everything. And, you know, an hour later, everything you did is undone. (laughs) And you're still, and you're late at night going to bed and everything's undone again. And it is just like almost worthless. Why am I doing this? Everything I do comes undone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so take all of that emotion, thoughts, all of those feelings you have, and bring those with you as we journey this week. We're going to look for specifically that word toil throughout the scriptures. And I think what we'll find is that that word toil, first of all, it shows up a lot, but it kind of helps tell the story of the Bible. 
And I think there's some pretty amazing invitations that we're going to find, especially from Jesus at the end of this series about toil and maybe about how to think back on all that we just talked about, but we'll have to wait to get there. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the beginning of the Bible, because the word toil shows up pretty early in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. We're going to touch down twice in the middle of the Old Testament. We're going to go into the New Testament. That's kind of the arc for the week. And again, I think this is going to be pretty life-giving to us. So as you're turning to Genesis 3, let me just set up the context. So in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates this amazingly beautiful world where fruit trees and plants that bring up food sound like they just pop out of the ground. They're full, they're lush, tasty. Uh, but there's a problem in Genesis 2, and that is that God looks around at this world that he's created, and there's no one to till the ground. Uh, now, if you've ever done some gardening, what do things like tilling the ground maybe pruning a bush, what do those do? It promotes further growth, right? Yeah, so you end up with more growth. So uh, the problem is not that there's no food. The problem is that God wants there to be even more of an abundance, even more of a filling of the earth. And so he creates this dirt man to till the ground and to help it flourish even more. Then he creates a woman who is called a helper, But that word helper, as we've talked about on other series, is the same word that God uses for himself as Israel's caretaker, as Israel's friend, and as Israel's like co-warrior in the world. And so we have a flourishing garden. We have a man who can help flourish it even more. Then there's a woman who can make it flourish even more. And so it's getting bigger and better and more amazing. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3. Yeah. So what happens in Genesis 3? Well, during the setup that you were talking about when God created the man and the woman, he gave them instructions about what they could and could not do. They're very limited instructions as far as what they could not do. But in Genesis chapter 3, they violate that one restriction that God gives them, and they become alienated from God. Yeah. Yeah, there's all this flourishing, and it feels like in some ways, that flourishing just wasn't enough for them. They wanted just a little bit more, which I think already we can all relate to in the world that we live in, where it's like, oh, just a little bit more and I'll be happy, or a little bit more and I'll be content, or a little bit more and I'll be satisfied. And so everything falls apart so much so, as you talked about, Bill, like they're afraid of God's presence. They hide from God. Mm -hmm. And then God speaks to them and he invites them close back to him. And then we get to this word toil and God's listing out, you didn't follow the way, this amazing way that I had put before you. And so as a result of that, there's these built-in consequences into the world. And here's what some of those consequences are going to be. And so I pulled out just a few specific phrases. First of all, in Genesis three sixteen, Elisa, would you be up to read just those f- few phrases that I kind of pulled out there? Sure. To the woman, God said, in toil you shall bring forth children. Now, I've already put the word toil in there, but if you've looked in other translations, did you see the word toil there? No, I think it's, it's in pain, Yeah, right? mine yeah. is in pain also. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so that Hebrew word for toil there can also be translated as toil or pain or hardship. In fact, your pains in childbearing 
it will be very severe, painful labor will be how you give birth. Yeah, so one of these consequences is that this amazing thing that God created, which is the bringing new life into the world through the man and the woman coming together and bringing in this new life is now toils involved. It's going to be harder. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more painful. And then God turns to the man, and maybe Rasul, you could read Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19 for us. Yep. And to the man, he said, curse is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Yeah, so how does that feel different from where we were at the beginning in the garden? Yeah, it's not this lush, you know, wonderful cornucopia of a harvest. It's something you struggle. Yeah, work originally was given to be fulfilling and enriching and satisfying, but now it's turned into a a chore. It's turned into something that feels much less positive. And you know, on that note, I was reading back in just how God gave work in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So mm-hmm. toil originally, like you're saying, Bill, wasn't a bad thing. It was a, a calling, you know, a vocation, a, an important contribution humankind would offer. But after our poor choices, our choices against God's ways, it becomes something painful. Isn't that interesting? Something that God meant as good, mm-hmm. we turn into something that's not so good. Yeah. And one of the things that really jumps out to me, especially because we started by, I read a part of Psalm 127, which we're going to read a little bit more of um, in just a second. But did you notice in Psalm 127, it talked about the bread of anxious toil. And here in Genesis, by the sweat of his brow, what is the man going to eat? Bread. Mm. Bread. And so here mm. in Genesis 3, we begin to see this connection between what was going to be a lot easier. Not necessarily it wasn't going to be hard work, but a, a little easier, a little less painful. Now, all of a sudden, these built-in consequences into the world, out, life outside the garden is going to be really hard. And we all feel that, don't we? Because we mm. live in life outside the garden. So I want to go back and read more of the psalm I read at the beginning of the conversation and just think about this psalm in context now with what we've seen happen from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. So this is Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2, and we're going to really unpack this more in another conversation. But it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Hmm. What jumps out to you after hearing that together? Well, the middle part of it almost sounds like it ought to be in Ecclesiastes because (laughs) he keeps talking about things being in vain and in Mm -hmm. vain. And we've Mm -hmm. talked before about that being a theme. I think going back to the garden and where you had us a moment ago, Daniel, it seems to me that once again, when they stepped away from the ways and the means that the Lord had provided for them, everything changed and it got worse. And this is just a reminder that when we try to do life apart from him and his help and his strength and his wisdom and his resources, then it does end up becoming very much in vain. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I also think about eating the bread of anxious toil. And it feels like this metaphor that there's different types of consumption we can have. And even going back to the garden, there's this visual of you can eat from all the different trees in the garden, or you could eat from this particular tree that will bring about death. And they choose to eat the tree that will bring about death that God told him not to eat from here. He uses eating the bread of anxious toil as to say, there's two ways you can think about building a house. You can build it in the way that trust in God, that is a type of bread, so to speak, that can nourish, or there's a type of way that you can do it that's built on vanity, that's built on yourself, that would just create the sense of stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness. And uh, and it's up for us to choose which. Yeah, God provided this beautiful, good way for humans to flourish in the world. And we often think to ourselves that God's trying to hold something back from us. But what this story helps us see is actually when we think that the thing that God's holding back, quote unquote, from us is what we want, what we end up finding is not a world that's flourishing, but we find the bread of anxious toil. And so humans were created for the garden. They were created to find joy and fulfillment in tilling the ground and seeing it bloom with even more food and this beauty and flourishing and all of that. But how far we've come from that as we kind of started this conversation talking about how easy it was for each of us to relate to that phrase, the bread of anxious toil. Uh, And so let's explore that. What is this bread of anxious toil and why does it resonate so deeply in us? And what is the invitation that Jesus offers that might offer a better way? forward to the journey together as we look at some of the places where toil is part of how the story of the Bible is told. Because uh, sometimes at the beginning of a week, we feel it more, don't we? The anxiety of the weekly toil. No matter how you started this day, we're glad you're here with us listening to Discover the Word and the series called The Bread of Anxious Toil. And so anxiety, that's a topic that we're hearing a lot about today. Some say we're experiencing an anxiety epidemic. And without a doubt, there are a lot of things that we can be anxious about. What are some of the things that tie a knot in your stomach? The uh, negative thoughts and worry and fear about the future that you have trouble escaping. Sometimes anxiety can take over and really be a problem. So as we continue talking about eating the bread of anxious toil, in this next segment, we're going to go to the passage in the Bible where that term is used. It's in Psalm 127, the bread of anxious toil. Let's listen. I once heard a businessman on a TV show talking about how you can train the body to operate on only four hours of sleep per night. And he was sharing this as if, first of all, it was a good thing. And then secondly, describing the type of dedication or expectations that he has for other entrepreneurs that want to work with him. Makes me hurt. Yeah, makes me, me too. hurt. <laughs> By the way, they do the same thing in special forces and SEAL training. Oh. They train them to go sometimes for days without sleep. It's like what you do to doctors as well in medical school, right? Yeah. It's also been an effective 
use of torture, um, <laughs> sleep <laughs> deprivation. Yeah. Um, so so that, that connects too. to moms with young babies, <laughs> infants, torture. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you now. Okay. Um, there's another guy I worked with as well that just, he would put in so many hours. And I remember one time just asking him about that. And of course, he probably just thought I was one of those millennials that just didn't want to work. But I remember him telling me, you can sleep when you're dead. And I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. That makes me think about a generational issues that you just brought up, Daniel. If you know, like the boomers are like, well, we never stop. We're supposed to keep on, et cetera. But it also makes me think about personality bents. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile, you know, some people just are built to go, 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 work, 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 work. And they don't even have a being if they're not doing. Yeah, Absolutely. As we think about those two ideas of sleep deprivation and we can sleep when we're dead, we're going to read the psalm again that we mentioned in our last conversation. And we're basically going to hear the psalmist say the exact opposite of both of those things. Uh, We're going to hear the psalmist say that God actually gives sleep to his beloved. So let's read that together. This is Psalm 127 verses 1 through 2. Uh, And maybe, Elisa, you could read that for us. Okay, doke. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Hmm. Um, So this is a song of ascent. And what are songs of ascent in the Psalms? They were pilgrim songs that people would sing as they made their way up. Song of Ascent up to Jerusalem three times a year for the major convocation feast times of Passover, first fruits, and tabernacles. Yeah, so in a way, all of these people that are coming in to celebrate these feasts are already putting their lives on pause back home to go and spend time with each other, spend time with God, worship God. Uh, And so it makes sense that one of the things they might sing about as they're pausing their daily life and going to worship in Jerusalem is singing about a break in their Mm -hmm. life as it relates to work. It's also attributed to Solomon, which in our series on the Psalms, we talked about how just because something's attributed to someone doesn't necessarily mean they're the author, but that whether or not they're the author doesn't matter as much as what they're trying to draw attention to is it's in the spirit of something that Solomon would write or that Solomon would think about or in the school of what Solomon would have taught or said. And so what do we know about Solomon and the culture that kind of surrounded him? Well, he was um, the son of David and Bathsheba. He became king after David's passing. And his major achievement during his reign was to build Israel's first permanent temple in Jerusalem. So the idea of the Lord building the house mm. kind of connects yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Good. And uh, yeah. he, he longed for wisdom. That was the prayer yeah. he offered up upon being anointed as king. And yet his life uh, took some really sad turns as well. I also think about his reign being considered the most prosperous reign mm-hmm. of the kings of Israel. Um, you see in first Kings nine and 10, even the queen of Sheba and, you know, marveled at all of what he had accomplished 
through his building efforts, his expansion of the city and his wealth. Yeah. Yeah, he was the reason why they referred to that, as you say, Rasul, as the golden age of Solomon, Mm. because it was a very unique time in their history. So how does that help us as we unpack this psalm, thinking about who Solomon was, what he accomplished? It seems like he had a unique perspective. Um, You know, he accomplished so much, and yet his influence over the book of Ecclesiastes is this ongoing contrast between what God builds and what our human efforts can accomplish. It's almost like he had a foot in both worlds, and he had a unique perspective from God's world and humankind's Mm. world. Yeah. I think there's another sense, too, in which he accomplished a lot, but he himself would have not done that much of the actual work. I mean, he was the king. They had slaves and they had laborers and they had all those people who actually did the sweat. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was overseeing it. He was responsible for it. So I don't want to minimize his role. It's just that when we think about, you know, what we saw in the last conversation of by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Well, that wasn't really Solomon's thing. (laughs) I'm not sure how much he actually had to sweat uh, as the king. Yeah, it's a good point. As we begin to kind of now dive deeper into the psalm, so there's a lot of Hebrew parallel ideas happening here. And we've talked before about how the psalms are written in Hebrew parallelism, which means that you'll have a line and then the very next line will go on to explain in some way the line before or emphasize or offer contrast, which here I think we see a little bit of contrast. So what is some of the parallel ideas that you see there? The Lord builds the house and the Lord guards the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the language, unless the Lord labor in vain, unless mm-hmm. the Lord keep watch in vain. That word vain shows up quite a few times. The yeah. the phrase, unless the Lord shows up a few times. What does that mean? Unless the Lord builds the house or unless the Lord guards the city? Well, it seems like it's about him or it's about us. It's yeah. about his power and uh, our recognition of his deity and power or our assuming godlike qualities to accomplish things ourselves and you know how many of us that's what we do when you get up in the morning you know it's like i'm out to do my life today you hope you can fit into it god versus what's going on in your agenda today god and how can i depend on you to accomplish what i'm going to do yeah do you think god's saying there like you don't do anything. Just just sit back all together because the Lord's the one that's got to do all the stuff. No. Right? No, he doesn't say that they labor in vain. He says they labor in vain unless the Lord is engaged in the project with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he doesn't say it's wrong to labor or wrong to watch. Yeah, it goes back to awake. our other conversation about, you know, work is a God-given gift. But when we work for our own purposes and independently of him... And because yeah. we chose a life without him, work can be messed up. Yeah. yeah. When I think about this in the context of it being a song of ascent of people who are on their way to participate in practice of a form of worship, of a setting apart of their traditional, especially during the high holy days, you don't do any work. So that means that it has to be left aside. I can see the backdrop can be an affirmation of the choice to put down work in order to trust in this Lord or worship this Lord who is the source of the building in contrast to the 
anxious toil of thinking about, but if I don't, if I'm not there to sell those goats and sheep and what's going to happen to my, you know, like all the things that they could be leaving behind and by, you know, extension, we can feel that too. Like, do I pray and spend some time with God when I first wake up in the morning or am I first going to just jump into the to-do list because I'm anxious about all the things that need to get done. And this seems to be an invitation for the former. Yeah, especially as we look at verse two, which kind of runs in parallel to verse one. So verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. And then we have this parallel verse to go with it. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. And again, we see that word vain show up multiple times, which really just means kind of an emptiness to it, as if we're stuck on some kind of race that we can't get off of, like a hamster on a hamster wheel or something like that. And verse two in particular draws attention to not only rest, which is kind of an important thing each day, but also food. And most of us, that's the tension that we feel every day is between like pursuing food and money and things like that. And rest and how much rest do I get versus how much food and provision does my family need? And so he's kind of describing a daily experience that all of us can relate to. And so kind of as we begin to land this part of the conversation, what does that bread of anxious toil look like in your life or in more of a modern context? Yeah, my translation says to eat the bread of painful labors which somehow feels even worse than anxious toil. We've said it a number of times. It just seems like the contrast is what we can do for ourselves or try to do for ourselves as opposed to what we trust him to do for us. And while we're getting up early and going to bed late and eating the bread of painful labors, he's offering us rest. He's offering us the rest that we need so that we can function well. Yeah, I think the word anxious is the pivot for me. I mean, toil is, as we've said, not a bad thing, but anxious toil is like a worrisome, anxiety-filled toil. And I think about what causes me to be anxious in toil. It's a me dependence. It's an independence, you know, whereas if I'm working under God's good hand, I'm working in dependence with him. So this call to depend upon him rather than me for everything that I do, you know, he has it in balance. And as I depend on him in toil, rather than depend on me in anxious toil, then rest becomes another byproduct by his hand. Yeah, I think about the modifier of anxious to the toil, and that being what we consume, like scriptures often, you know, especially in the gospels, we see Jesus talking about, you know, how we walk or Paul talking about the manner of our walk and walk being this metaphor for a regular ongoing practice. And I feel like eating is an even more intimate picture of that kind of regular because you're actually ingesting something. And I think about stress and anxiety and how that actually impacts our physical bodies and the opportunity and the invitation that we have in this psalm to reflect on the invitation to let the Lord build the house, let the Lord watch over whatever it is that I'm concerned about watching over. And 
therefore be able to rest which is what he wants us to do and that is a different type of thing i can consume Mm -hmm. my thoughts with my emotions with in my time other than the anxiousness and so as we think about that approach the difference between having an openness and a trusting in god as we do our work versus uh, leaving it all on ourselves and trying to control our provision and our protection all on our own. There's one other way that this verse could be interpreted that I think is helpful for this. The end of verse two could be, for he provides for his beloved during sleep. And I think what that nuances a little bit is it goes exactly to what we've been talking about. Whereas we struggle with the temptation to always try to put the control on us, right? Like we're the ones that need to make things happen. We're the ones that need to train ourselves to only sleep four hours a night so that we can get more done. And the invitation in this psalm is an openness or a trusting or a leaning on God so that even while we sleep, God is working for our good and protecting us because he's a God who doesn't sleep or doesn't slumber. And so the really good news that I get to basically just pass on to you from Psalm 127 is that in this passage, God is inviting all of us to find rest in him. And I know for some people that's really hard because there are real issues of sleeplessness. And I think, Elisa, even you mentioned moms who get woken up many times during the night and they probably are legitimately wondering, does God actually love me enough to give me sleep right now? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but the point of this uh, isn't about whether or not we fall asleep or not. The point of this psalm is that we have a God who we can be open to and trust and that we don't have to put it all on ourselves to try to make things happen. That's eating the bread of anxious toil. But even if at night we can't fall asleep, we can still rest and trust in a God who loves us and does what's best for us. Yeah, this passage in Psalm 127 is a much needed reminder of what the Bible has to say about all our toil and when we're eating the bread of anxious toil. You're listening to Discover the Word with your friends Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry in a series called The Bread of Anxious Toil. And next, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes for some more biblical wisdom about toiling. That word has definitely had a negative vibe to it up to this point, hasn't it? And so does Ecclesiastes feed into that? We'll find out in the next part of our conversation after this word about another helpful related resource from Our Daily Bread Ministry. Now, the members of this group are also involved in other things in addition to what they do with Discover the Word, speaking, other podcasts, video, uh, writing, pastoring. And one thing Bill has done a lot of with our Our Daily Bread publishing arm is write books. Over the years, he's written about 20 of them, with over a million copies sold and distributed. And one of his recent ones really fits with this series that we're doing here on Discover the Word this time. It's called Wisdom for Our Worries, Finding Joy and Peace in Difficult Times. As we heard, it's exhausting to constantly worry about work and home and everything in between to eat the bread of anxious toil. And in his book, Bill points you toward God and his sovereignty and how to face your anxieties. Wisdom for Our Worries. You'll find a link to order Bill's book when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. And it's also in our store. 
and you'll find it when you search for Wisdom for Our Worries there in our store. The store drop-down is also on our discovertheword.org website. And so what do we learn about toil and the important perspective that Ecclesiastes adds to this study about the bread of anxious toil? Let's listen. We could not have a good Bible study about the word toil in the Bible without talking about Ecclesiastes. And I know that's already true because, Elisa, you've already mentioned Ecclesiastes. Bill, you've already mentioned Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Right. Rasul thought Ecclesiastes, whether or not he said it or not. Maybe not. (laughs) We just just went through Ecclesiastes 2 in Bible study at my church. So, uh, Mm. yes, I was definitely thinking Ecclesiastes. Yeah. And the reason is, is because the word toil shows up 20 times in that very short book. Uh, And because there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And we've been feeling it. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Now, we have a whole series, uh, quite a long series, actually, that we did on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I would highly recommend for any of our listeners who want to, to maybe revisit that series sometime soon, because we just explored toil and work and all of those things in such a deeper way. But for now, let's just revisit a few of the ideas that we talked about from the book. So Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, and specifically, it's the other side of wisdom. And what do I mean by the other side of wisdom? I think we talked about the the big idea was living life God's way versus living life our way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the idea, the phrase under the sun. When you live life under the sun, you're living according to this world's values or cultural thinking or things like that, as opposed to God's. Yeah. Part of it was also the fact that we have this book, Proverbs, that always seems to be the positive side too. So it's like, hey, if you live in the right way, good things will happen to you. And then Ecclesiastes comes in and is like, oh yeah, well, I've seen people who do all the right things and only yeah. bad things happen to them. <laughs> right? Me like, too. so it's like yeah. this mm-hmm. other side of wisdom, which is so helpful for us, right? Because we all have had those proverbs on our walls that at times in our lives we found just not to be true in the way that we thought that they were. We thought they gave us this promise. And as we've talked about many, many times, proverbs are principles and not promises. We also talked a lot about the Hebrew word hevel when we talked about Ecclesiastes, because it's the primary word that shows up over and over again. Do you all remember what that means? Yeah, it means like a puff of wind or something like that. Yeah. The author uses it metaphorically of you know, something you can't just quite get your hands around or understand, or also as things that are just meaningless or vain, or it's like trying to hold smoke, right? You can't really do it. And one of the primary things Ecclesiastes emphasizes over and over again is the hard work that we all do in the world. It's just toil under the sun. It's just a puff of cloud. And so let's look at some examples of that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 Verses 22 through 23. Maybe, Rasul, you could read that for us. Absolutely. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation, frustration, and worry. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. 
Yeah, and that last word, vanity, is hevel. It's just cloud. It's like trying to grab a puff of smoke. Do you hear some words in there, like strain and toil and pain and vexation? <laughs> I'm not sure when I last heard the word vexation. That is a good one. Vexed. I'm vexed right now. Yeah, I love right. that word. But it, it just it's very descriptive, vexation. Yeah. And even going back to our last conversation, even at night their minds do not yeah. rest. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of times when the, the troubles of the day rob us of sleep in the night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's look at another one too. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 and 8. Maybe, Bill, you could read that for us. Okay. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Oof, what words jump out to you in that one? Well, I'm actually stuck at the beginning. What's the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers? Is yeah. this just like the, the loneliness of working all by yourself for yourself? It's also, if you think about this being a patriarchal culture, mm-hmm. the inheritance that you would build would be passed on to the oldest son. The oldest son would then be responsible to care for the family. And so I think he really is driving at it where he says, for whom am I toiling and depriving yeah. myself of pleasure. In other words, I'm doing all this hard work, but I have no one to pass it on to. And so it's literally just going to mm. sit there or go to someone else or someone's going to come and take it. And so I think that's part of it as well. So there is the loneliness, but there's also the, who am I toiling for? I don't even have anybody to pass this on to. No heirs. Okay. It's, yeah. it's like, a yeah, it doesn't matter at all. It's fruitless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also the point of contrast between the toiling and the hard work which is depriving him, he says, of pleasure. So not only do you have the pressure and the pain and the struggle of work, you have the lack of joy in a sense. Mm. Mm. One of the questions that my Reclaim Today team, which is a part of our Daily Bread, gets a lot from Gen Z is, what is the balance between working hard and having a good time? And you kind of get that here a little bit, right? He's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just working all the time. I don't have any pleasure. And yet at the same time, it says his eyes are never satisfied with riches, right? So there's like this toil, this unpleasantness. And it actually says at the end, unhappy business that he's working toward. You get a sense that whatever it is he's doing, there's a complete lack of satisfaction. Yeah. And these themes that we see in Ecclesiastes actually show up in a few other places in the Old Testament that I thought would be worth reading. Um, We're not going to be able to explore the context because we don't have enough time, but just to hear some of these themes being repeated in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 18. Maybe, Rasul, you could read that for us. Why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Oof. Right? Like you said, that feels like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And in that particular context, Jeremiah is talking about those who stand against him and are persecuting him. So he's like asking, like, why did I even come forth into the world? All I'm getting is this persecution and struggle. Well, and again, it does resonate with Ecclesiastes because there are times when the writer in Ecclesiastes makes statements like, a stillborn child would be better off than this, or a a living dog is better than a dead lion, Graphic. you know, and really weighty kind of statements like that. Yeah. 
Psalm 90 verse 10. So this is another verse that I think just really feels like Ecclesiastes as well. Maybe, Elisa, you could read that for us. Sure, sure. The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80, if we're strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Oof. Yeah. How, how positive is everybody feeling right now about life? <laughs> <laughs> feeling good? <laughs> yeah, it's a puff of air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as we look at this word toil throughout the Old Testament, I want to just draw attention with like some other ideas the word toil is connected to. So the word toil is connected to this concept of fruitlessness, right? Like I'm doing all this, but I'm not really gaining anything from it. The word toil is connected to just a short span of life on earth, right? I only have this little bit of life and all I'm doing is toiling. The words toil and strain and pain are often connected together. As we talked about in our first couple conversations, toil and anxiousness, um, right? Eating the bread of anxious toil or worry. There's no end to toil on the earth is another theme. That's real encouraging. Notice, I don't think we've heard any of these verses in worship songs, right? Uh, or <laughs> there's a toil and the lack of satisfaction, toil and a lack of rest, toil and then under the sun. And that's one of the phrases that shows up a lot is this toil under the sun, which we talked about at the beginning of the conversation is like apart from God and just this this anxiousness and working hard all for nothing. One passage we haven't looked at yet, but I think it's a really important one to get a full picture of the Old Testament's picture of toil is Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses six through seven. Maybe Bill, you could read that for us. Sure. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. Yeah, so what are they remembering back on in that part of Deuteronomy? The slavery of the of the Israelites, of the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a really important connection with mm-hmm. the word toil throughout the Old Testament is remembering slavery and remembering the kind of work that they had to do in that context. And, and what was that like for them in that context? Oh, it was horrible. It was exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was, it was totally beyond their ability to control. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had no say in what they did or didn't do. And they really were basically just working in order to eat. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I, I notice about that word toil that feels different than work is that it tends to highlight or really zoom into the laborious, tedious, Mm -hmm. burdensome, almost like if you were told, dig a ditch, and then you dug the ditch, and then the person told you to fill the ditch up, and then Mm -hmm. dig another ditch, like just Uh, almost pointless, purposeless work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and I feel that sense of enslavement, too, the way you're highlighting it. it. You have no ability to affect the choice. You simply have to obey. Yeah. And it reminds me too of people that I know and who I've met who feel stuck in, they're trying to provide for their families. They're trying to work hard. They're taking on multiple jobs 
and yet they feel like they could never get ahead. And there's so many reasons for that, right? There's mm-hmm. pressures mm-hmm. and things that maybe their families have experienced for generations that they're stuck in and they can't get past. So it's like even that I kind of feel in this word toil. And I think that's why the context for slavery is so important as we think about this too, because the way Egypt treated Israel which we've seen throughout the world in so many other ways, feel were things like even the resources that Egypt was providing for them to use in their enslavement, at one point they take away from them. They're like, you got to go gather all this stuff now too, Mm -hmm. but you still have to deliver all the same things. And so that's kind of this trapped in this work under the sun Mm -hmm. that we feel. And yet the nerve of the author of Ecclesiastes in verse 24 of chapter two, there's nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) Like after the way he just described this, he goes on to say, this also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who can eat or have enjoyment. And so maybe there's a little bit of an uplift there, but in the context of Ecclesiastes, it's like, I don't don't know if I believe that he really believes (laughs) that that it's Mm -hmm. a gift from God. So this toil that we've been describing, it, it can lead to cynicism. It can lead to discouragement, the desire to give up, which pretty much captures the spirit of Ecclesiastes. But there's also a relationship that we can have with toil that the author of Ecclesiastes hints at, but I think we'll see that much better, especially once we get to Jesus. And that is that it actually can lead to enjoyment and contentment. But I don't want to go there because I think in order to really honor the spirit of Ecclesiastes, we should end this discouraged because that's really, (laughs) and I mean that because it's like, (laughs) that is what Ecclesiastes does is it shows that there are so many things in our lives that we put hope in, whether it's work or our ability to provide for ourselves or whatever. And all of those things are like trying to grab vapor. They're like trying to grab smoke. The good news is that Jesus offers us a better way, but we're going to have to wait for two more conversations till we can get to that. Yeah, I am looking forward to getting to that. Uh, So far, this study has kind of fed into that negative view of the idea of toil as we come across it in Scripture. But uh, like Daniel said, I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be coming out of Ecclesiastes. But starting in this next segment, we're going to find in the New Testament another side of toil, when the hard work and struggle is worth it. And then in the final part of the conversation, that's when we get to Jesus, and you're going to like that as well. So the bread of anxious toil. Let's keep listening. All right, I want you to think of two different times or moments or seasons in your life. One is when you really laid everything on the line, wore yourself out, worked really hard. Maybe it was for a cause or a person or built probably is going to share about a church. Um, (laughs) And uh, that work, that hard work that you poured out ended up being for a really good thing and you felt really good about it. And then I want you to think of another situation where you did all of the same things. So you worked really hard, wore yourself out, worked for a cause or person, and it just ended up being a bad and unhealthy thing. So if you've got those two in your head, what was the difference between those two? And are you willing to share those examples? And it's okay if not. So I'll start with the positive example first. So a few years ago, I was asked when I was serving in a different ministry to lead an initiative of a summer mission trip that involved organizing musicians who were college students and doing 
outreach evangelism through music. I did that. It was supposed to just be for like a summer, but I just really caught this vision. felt like it was the clearest call I've ever had. You know, that I was like, this is what God wants me to do to present to my leadership the opportunity to change my ministry role, move my family from Florida to Indiana to be able to do this full time and recruit people to do this full time. They said, if you recruit the band, you can do it. So we recruited. We actually had to move before we knew if they had were able to raise their financial support to move. So it was a big faith step. They've raised their support like literally the last day that they were given to do it. And that ended up culminating into a band that would later come that we actually partnered with a record label and put out an album and traveled around even overseas. Incredible. It's a highlight of some of my ministry experiences, especially the creation of the album, which felt like <laughs> yeah. legitimacy, right? Like we actually charted number eight on Billboard Whoa. Gospel. Yeah. Like it was like, yeah. yeah, this is real. Well, then a couple years later, same band, <laughs> you know, we were working on a second album that I thought was going to be even better, much better than the first because they had like a couple years under their belt. And uh, we had gotten even more established and I poured even more of myself into seeing this thing get launched. And then the <laughs> wheels fell off. Uh, the album, which was finished, mixed and mastered, done, never came out. I resigned from <laughs> ministry physician and it was the most like Oof. biggest car wreck of a experience that I ever had that mm. took years to recover from. So, so yes. Wow. Well, if I go with the positive, I could I could list a variety of church-related things, as Daniel requested, and a bunch of those would have to do with music not dissimilar to what you described, Russell. When I was in college, I directed a traveling musical group, and we also recorded a couple albums, and it was just a really exciting, rewarding time. But probably the thing that I really wore myself out on, and this will probably be even less surprise to you, was um, when the Bible college I went to announced that they were going to be starting a new soccer program. And we had like four or five legit soccer players, and the rest of us were kind of washed up football players. And uh, <laughs> I tried out for the soccer team, made it as a goalkeeper, having never played soccer before and i just remember the summer months leading up to that first fall season where i was working with a guy who had played goalkeeper his whole life in africa he was from ghana and uh, he was a goalkeeper by trade but he was the best player we had so he became our striker who plays up front and he trained me to be the goalkeeper and those hot summer days in virginia just constantly being exhausted, mm. constantly being worn out and drained. But when we started winning some games, mm. it all felt very worthwhile. Uh, on the negative stuff, I won't give you any specifics. Uh, it was when I was pastoring and there was a, a young couple who was really struggling in their marriage. And I met with them every Thursday night for a couple of hours for like a year trying to work with them to help them get their relationship back on track and all that kind of stuff. And once their marriage was back in a good place, they left and went to a different church because uh -huh. by that time I knew too much about them for them to be comfortable, yeah. you know. So yeah. so that was that was pretty discouraging. 
I'm going super emotional here. I mean, I'm thinking about parenting. Hmm. I think we all have invested 100% in parenting, you know, in our kids or in our marriages, you know, and in these people, little people, big people, male and female people. And there are times when maybe it's Mother's Day and my eight-year-old daughter takes a dandelion and tapes it to a rock and hands it to me and it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. Or maybe there's a Mother's Day when she's in her early 30s and a mother herself and doesn't even call me. <laughs> you know? um, we all invest in these relationships. And there are moments when they're golden and there are moments when they're disappointing. And mm-hmm. to me, that the whole hinge point is I pour all of myself into them, but I make it all about me. And that's when mm-hmm. the big disappointment comes compared to when I just pour myself into the moment because it's the moment and it's the calling. Thank you all for sharing those examples. And I think that's helpful at the start of this particular conversation, because especially in like Christian ministry and as parents and in some of these entrepreneurial environments and stuff that people find themselves in that we have found ourselves in, there's like this like cultural value of wearing yourself out Mm -hmm. as if that's the goal or that's the good thing, or that's what makes you a worthy, you know, minister or boss or mom or whatever it is. It's better to burn out than to rust out. That's what we were told when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Great example. And I just want to ask the question, is that really what God calls us to? And these next two conversations, the one we're in now and the next one kind of go together, because we're going to see someone who did wear himself out for ministry. And that word toil is going to show up as a result. So we're going to read a little bit longer of a section than we've read in this series so far. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 till chapter 2, verse 3. And so we can just kind of go around and read that if we want. Maybe, Elisa, you could get started for us. Okay. So words from Paul. I'm now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see the word toil in there? Mm-hmm. Toil and struggle and struggling mm-hmm. and suffering. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, you know, we there's so many different threads we could pull on in this passage. Uh, but one of the things that really jumps out to me is just like this passage captures how complicated ministry life yeah. is, 
right? There's the suffering and the pain, but there's the joys and the good things. And there's the motives that are true and good. And there's the motives that aren't true and good. And like all of that is mixed together, I think. Um, The word toil here is in the Greek, a word that just means to work hard, to labor, but also embedded in it is to become weary and tired as a result of that hard work and labor. It can be referenced in just talking about someone who's worked hard for something. So like, for example, in Romans 16, verses 6 and 12, Paul writes, Greet Mary who worked very hard among you. And that word is toil there. So it could have been translated who toiled among you. Mm. In verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphasa. Greet the beloved Persis who has toiled in the Lord or worked hard in the Lord. So just someone who's working hard. Paul also uses another word quite a few times in his letters, and it means more toil, hardship, exertion. And they're both very related, so it's hard to like define them completely different. But in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And of course, in that passage, he's talking about all the hard things that he experienced, and he kind of defines them as toil. Mm. Like it's the toil that he was putting in for the gospel. In Second Thessalonians, he uses that same word where he talks about, we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. And so there's this hard work, this exertion, this painful suffering that Paul is putting in. But what is he toiling toward? What is his goal with all of this hard work? Maturity in Christ and, and for his yeah. beloved, God's beloved, to grow in their relationship and understanding of him. Yeah, and in this passage in Colossians, he draws attention to one particular thing that he's trying to do, is, which is to make the word of God mm-hmm. fully known. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that he's struggling. What's he kind of referring to there when he says the word of God fully known? I think he's referring to the gospel, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he calls it a mystery to be revealed, a message of hope, and then also defines it as Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is a beautiful way to describe the gospel. Mm. So as we've talked about all of this toil so far throughout the Bible, and now we're talking about Paul and his toiling, what are some of the thoughts that are coming to mind? Was Paul healthy, not healthy? Like what's coming to mind here? You know, I, I love this passage because like you said, it shows the richness and the depths of the human experience and all the things that we have to deal with. I mean, for on the one end, him talking about suffering and we know Paul suffered physically, emotionally, you know, spiritually, all the ways. And yet having this incredible front row seat to unveiling the mystery that had been hidden for ages and generations that the prophets looked to see. And now he's the person that is communicating this Christ in you, the hope of glory to the Gentile. Like that's, that's such an extreme and beautifully broad type of human experience. And this is where I think the earlier conversation we had about toil being oftentimes feeling just like I'm just digging a ditch, Mm -hmm. right? Like, but no, sense of connection with purpose or meaning is completely foiled here by him having this soaring vision of what his goal and what his hard work is going to. I mean, it's no greater goal that he could uh, ascribe to and be set apart for. And so it's not the fact that toil itself is bad and working hard 
It's how am I connecting that to something even greater than the source itself? It reminds me of the chariot to fire line, you know, when Eric Little says, when I run, I sense God's pleasure, yeah. right? Like being an Olympic athlete is probably one of the most grueling heavy toil suffering experiences you could have is a four-year goal to have this goal but yet he had a bigger picture in mind and so it felt like worship to him yeah the one phrase that really jumped out to me in this passage that i thought was so beautiful talking about like the the image that paul has of his toil is i want their hearts to be encouraged and i want them to be united in love right like that's part of what he's toiling toward and working hard toward and so I, I think that's just a beautiful picture of, of what hard work can lead toward. But the question still remains, I think, as we've kind of looked at this like great landscape of toil in the Bible, and that is, what would Jesus have to say about toil, or did he have anything to say about toil? And I think what we're going to find is that he said something pretty amazing about toil that I'm really excited to get to in this next conversation. This episode of the Discover the Word podcast, we've been on a journey in search of the word toil in the Bible. We found it in the creation story in Genesis, and uh, we've also now looked at some passages in the Old and New Testaments. And in the last part of the study, as Daniel said, we will be hearing from what Jesus has to say about our toil. And I think it will be obvious why we've also been saying that this subject of toil is an important part of how the story of the Bible is told. The conclusion of these intriguing conversations called The Bread of Anxious Toil in just a moment. After this, heads up about where we'll be going for our next Bible study. So would you say that you respond more positively to commands or invitations? I think in our world today, when so many of us have an aversion to being told what to do, uh, invitations might have a better chance of getting our attention. Well, next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder takes the group to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking in this series of conversations at the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews invites his readers to join him in walking with Jesus in a variety of different ways. And he does it through the phrase, let us. The phrase, let us, appears in the book of Hebrews 13 times which I find fascinating. And I would suggest that that very much strongly feels more like an invitation than a command. Yeah, invitations to follow Jesus in a series based in the book of Hebrews called Let Us. That's next time on the Discover the Word podcast. Daniel has been guiding the conversation, these passages of Scripture in which we see toil mentioned. Uh, he's called it a thread that we've been pulling on that has unraveled how toil is part of the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible. And as we wrap this study up, we're going to find that this thread leads us to the words of Jesus. And I think we'll find that this series called The Bread of Anxious Toil actually ends up in a pretty encouraging place. So here is the conclusion of our study on this episode of Discover the Word. What are some of your favorite invitations from Jesus? Come unto me. Follow me. Follow me. That's a good one. Come unto me. Yeah. Take and eat. Take and eat. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, do not worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Come and see. Mm. 
for me, I'm so thankful for the two invitations from Jesus that we're going to see in this conversation. Um, I'm thankful for a lot of them. (laughs) And in fact, I'm always just surprised in the Gospels how often Jesus invites into something, right? Like he's rarely full of commands as much as he's full of invitations and inviting Mm. people to experience this life that Mm. he offers. And there's two in particular that I want to talk about that relate to toil because Jesus talked about toil. The first one comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. And so, Rasul, maybe you could read that for us and just really emphasize that word toil when you see it there. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Hmm. So that word toil just means hardship or exertion. And this whole passage is a section where Jesus is talking about not worrying, but trusting God instead with daily provision types of things. And he actually has another example that he uses in this too. This one's about the lilies. What's the other earthly metaphor that Jesus the references? The birds of the air, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. What does he say about them? Uh, they don't worry about what they're going to eat. So don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, which are two of the things that we spend a lot of energy worrying about in the world, um, especially in a first century context where they thought a lot about food and where they would get water. Um, Those are two of the things they thought about every day and spent a lot of their lives oriented around. And so Jesus uses these two very earthly examples. And one of those is about toil, these lilies of the field, that they don't toil, they don't spin, and yet God clothes them. And so they're both the lilies and the birds are kind of dependent on God, and God provides for them. Uh, There's another more famous passage, I think, that talks about toil. And this one, maybe we haven't thought of with the word toil before, but we will now. Uh, It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Maybe Bill, you could read that for us. Sure. And I changed some words in here. So if you're reading out of the scripts, you'll see toiled now, but you probably haven't seen it before. So go ahead. Come to me, all you that are toiled and loaded down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yes, we don't usually see that word toiled there. What what do we usually see, or what does your translation say? Weary and heavy laden instead of toiled and loaded down. Um, Burdened, yeah. Yeah, burdened. Weary, burdened, heaviness. And we have this come to me invitation from Jesus. I noticed as I was looking at this, there's actually a few invitations that Jesus has kind of packed Mm -hmm. into this. Uh, What are some of those? Well, he says, uh, come to me. And then he says, take my yoke, Mm -hmm. which is, we need to unpack that. And he says, learn from me. Mm -hmm. And then there's one more. Uh, Find rest for your souls. So come to me, take my yoke, learn from me, and find rest. Oof. Compared to our Ecclesiastes conversation, this one feels a little better, huh? (laughs) Um, And on each of those, what comes after it? So come to me, who is the one that does something to help us? Jesus will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. Yeah. yeah in fact, there's uh, quite a few eyes in this too. Take my yoke, learn from me. Why? I am gentle. And gentle and humble in heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see some parallel ideas in here too. And there's kind of a, a really neat flow to these verses together. Now, Elisa, you rightly suggested we should unpack the yoke mm-hmm. idea. What is that idea as we see it here? Well, from Jesus? I'll, I'll stab away at it. Um, oxen were yoked together mm-hmm. with a thing called a yoke. It's a piece of wood, a harness thing that would put them in tandem together so that they walked at the same pace together. And I think the idea that Jesus is getting at is that we be in tandem with him. Yeah, there's another uh, layer to the yoke too in the first century. Jesus is a rabbi in teaching and rabbis would have a yoke, meaning they would have their collection of interpretations of the Hebrew scriptures and specifically the law. And they would pass on that yoke, that collection of teachings to their disciples. And so each rabbi kind of has Ah. their yoke. And so how might that help us in this context think about what Jesus also might be saying here? Mm. Well, it's in contrast with the burdensome teachings of the the Pharisees and the, the other rabbis of whom Jesus said, you put heavy burdens on the backs of the people and you won't yeah. even lift a finger to help them. Yeah. And so maybe Jesus is also kind of pulling on that thread a little bit of the the fact that, look, when we look around, following God is usually offered to people as a very heavy yoke. Mm-hmm. And you can only have a right relationship with God if you carry that super heavy yoke. But the yoke that I'm inviting you to and as the son of God, I'm the image of the father inviting you to follow God mm. is a yoke that is easy and light. Yeah, that, that's also helpful because there's the implication there that not only does every other teacher have burdens that come with following their teaching, but even if I'm not in my own mind deliberately following some other teacher, I have my own yoke yeah. that might have caused good. me to be toiled and loaded down by my own expectations, by my own anxious ways of trying to make the world work. And Jesus is contrasting the offer that his yoke has in comparison to anything else that we will pick up. Yeah. So come to me, take my yoke, learn from me, find rest for your souls. How does this picture, as we think about where we've gone throughout this whole series, how does this picture that Jesus offers help us make sense of all the other examples of toil that we've seen throughout the scriptures or what parallels do you see or yeah just unpack that a a little bit as we think about where we've been in the conversation Mm -hmm. and what jesus is offering well in genesis 3 we talked about the consequences that were packed into disobedience and part of those consequences had to do with life becoming much more difficult because people had chosen to go their way instead of God's way. And Jesus is the ultimate answer to all the problems of Genesis 3. Yeah, he's almost inviting us to get to experience a Genesis 1-2 world a little bit again. It's like the the first ray of hope Mm -hmm. Jesus is offering that one day we'll be back to that invitation to flourish and to still work 
but that that work isn't the toil that we've seen described. Instead, it's just adding to the flourishing of the world already. Yeah, that's good. And there's built-in rest in it. Um, yeah. we, we started our conversation with the, the challenge of vanity, the futility of anxious toil, mm-hmm. and trusting that God gives sleep to his beloved, gives rest to the weary. Um, th- there's, there's a rhythm of yoked toil that's bearable because he carries it with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about the contrast between the laborious, tedious, burdensome toil that oftentimes accompanies life in all of its ways. And Paul saying, mm-hmm. I love how he puts it in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And when I see work in the sometimes difficulties that I will have, I can look at Jesus's invitation is not as the complete absence of toil, but the re- imagining and understanding of what that is and his presence with me in the midst of it. Yeah. We have this invitation in Psalm 127 that Jesus kind of re-echoes. And Psalm 127 came with the warning, and then Jesus kind of offers an invitation to go on the other side of that warning. Psalm 127 was, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, gives sleep to his beloved. And then Jesus is offering a very similar invitation where he says, come to me, take my yoke, learn from me, and find rest for your souls. So, friends, good news. Uh, (laughs) Today, we get to go forward and in all the days to come, knowing that rest is a good gift from God that he gives to those he loves. And the amazing news that the Bible offers is that God loves the whole world, which means all of us. wouldn't think that a series called The Bread of Anxious Toil would end up there, but it does. And I'm glad you're here with us on Discover the Word to get to that point. Your study partners for the series have been Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We hope these conversations and the resources offered on Discover the Word help you to draw closer to God. And just so you know, we rely on people like you who voluntarily support our ministry. It's quick and easy to donate when you go online to discovertheword.org. Just go to discovertheword.org and click Donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.